got a million dollars. Hot dog! I'm Joel Vulcan. Welcome to Small BizCast, where twice a month I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and expose strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. Shana Elson is Chief Executive Chocolatier at Top This Chocolate. Her pioneering journey, inventing a new product line, and risking everything to realize her dream is a very sweet and inspiring story. As you listen to this interview, as a small business person, you will find comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Hopefully, you'll learn something while finding inspiration and ideas from the people I introduce you to, like Shana. Hopefully, you'll laugh with us too. Hot dog! It's a wonderful life. We're talking with Shana Elson of Top This Chocolate. I was near my home in Ventura Harbor, and I passed by this really unique store which had chocolate bars that had Fruit Loops in it and banana chips in it and all kinds of weird things. And I realized that it's a store that where you can customize your own chocolate bar, kind of like the Subway sandwiches of chocolate, if you will. You know, you can just pick and choose what you want in the chocolate. And I thought it was really unique. And they, if you like mixing savory with sweet and if you like white chocolate, it just seemed like such a unique thing. And I could instantly see all these great possibilities for what a great business this is. And I found out it's like the only customizable chocolate bar store in the world. Is that right, Shana? Correct. How did you get started? I got to hear the story. Well, there were a couple different things going on. So one, I used to eat a Ghirardelli chocolate square every night after dinner for dessert. And there are only like four flavors of those. So I got really bored. Also at the time I was taking baking and pastry classes as a hobby and getting more and more into it. I took some chocolate classes and I learned to temper chocolate myself. And then I was able to make my own creations and put whatever I wanted, pistachios, cranberries, spicy mango, potato chips. And then what happened was I went to business school because I was trying to transition out of my miserable job and into the food and beverage industry. What was your miserable job, I have to know? I was a litigator, mostly real estate litigation between developers who were arguing over money. It just seemed like you were separate from the people. What was it about litigation that you just didn't like? You know, I actually, I was very emotionally distant from my cases. (laughs) It was a great paycheck. I just wasn't enjoying it. I had very little sense of productivity, which is why I gravitated towards baking and pastry because you just take ingredients and turn it into food and it's amazing and people love it. The people that enjoy your product smile and enjoy it and you're getting instant gratification because you're making something that happens today. Is that it? Yes. Exactly. It's very fulfilling. That's an entrepreneur, by the way. It must be hard to turn off that great paycheck for for the other benefits, which my guess is it takes a while for that great great paycheck to come back and what you're doing now. Still waiting. Still waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to small business. (laughs) How long have you been in business? I now have a retail store that is one year old, where, as you mentioned, people can customize their chocolate on the spot. However, I launched online first from my small one-bedroom apartment in Los Angeles, and I was doing that for five years Oh wow! while I searched for suitable retail space. And I assume that five years, you were also testing your process and refining that. Is that correct? Absolutely. And out of necessity, I had to go back to freelancing as a lawyer during that time in order to pay my own bills. I ended up back in business school out of desperation, trying to 
get out of being a lawyer. The economy was down. There weren't a lot of jobs and I wanted to transition into the dessert world. I wasn't sure if I was going to start my own business or try to work at a corporate restaurant group or something like that. But I came in, I started taking entrepreneurship classes and the, that was where the idea took hold because I took this idea that I had from my own experience of not having enough options in chocolate. And I took entrepreneurship 101 where they teach you how to flesh out an idea and figure out if this could be a viable business. That was at USC, correct? Correct. Yes. So was there a mentor program there too, where you had experienced entrepreneurs working with you or was it, how was it taught? At first it was a class project and then I turned it into my class project for multiple different classes in multiple different areas, marketing, finance, writing a business plan, consumer research. I just, every, every time I had the opportunity to choose my own project, I made it about this business idea. Right. And then I would end up in an incubator that was sponsored by USC, where they assigned me a mentor who was in the food industry. Oh, gotcha. Are you still uh, in contact with your mentor? Absolutely. Oh, good. The process of going from the home-based business to retail store, there were, there were probably other options too. You probably could have just gone all commercial, like a commissary. What led you to retail? A couple things did. So first of all, the concept of customizable chocolate on the spot doesn't lend itself that well to a commissary where you can't have people walking up and purchasing their chocolate on the spot. I could be one of several chocolate companies who has bars for sale, but that wasn't as exciting, new and different as what I had thought up. Right. Second of all, it turns out that renting food commissary space is almost as as expensive as just having your own retail Oh, really? Oh, that's yes. interesting. So did, you said you lived in LA at the time. Yes. Your store is in Ventura. I'm assuming right. that you had to move. <laughs> I sure did. I sure did. Yes. Right. So, well, you know, one of the things they teach you to do in business school is run your numbers and figure out how many chocolate bars would I have to sell per month, per week, per day, per hour in order to pay a specific rent. So it turns out that... Those numbers don't work in Los Angeles when looking at commercial rents. I was looking for a needle in a haystack and as time went by, the haystack was getting bigger, the needle was getting smaller. And I woke up one morning and realized that if I was really committed to this project, I was gonna have to leave Los Angeles. And I really thought I loved Los Angeles at the time. That's that's probably a sacrifice you didn't expect to make, I would guess. Yeah. No, you you realize how committed you are to this project when you're thinking about relocating your entire life. Now, to all my Ventura neighbors, you know, I live in Oxnard, which is next to Ventura. And, you know, it's really, I haven't used my air conditioning all year and we are by the ocean and we have a lot of very wonderful things to be here. But if you're a city person in the middle of, you know, metropolitan Los Angeles, moving to Ventura, I would think would be a bit of a, a sacrifice and a culture shock. So that's what I'm getting at. I mean, no disrespect to my Ventura friends. You know, no disrespect. I I love Ventura very much. I just didn't realize it at the time. I thought I was giving up all these big city things. And then I got here and I just thought, wow, this place is paradise. Right. And there's no traffic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Don't tell anybody, please. (laughs) Beautiful beach. You're never more than 10 minutes from the 
beach, no matter where you live. And, you know, and it's not so small. It's a pretty big city at the end of the day. Yep. Agreed. So it sounds like you had the balance between the size market and the low rent that got you just in the sweet spot where your sales flow could pay for the rent. That had to do, that was some good planning on your part. I, I applaud you for figuring that all out. And, and how's it working out? Well, so far, so good. What I wasn't expecting was for pandemic to hit <laughs> halfway through my first year. Oh, there's that. Um, there's that. I mean, it certainly put a damper on foot traffic. However, the location did prove to be my saving grace because I am near a beach and a lot of tourists still come through here. They came through here all summer. And I also got very lucky because the lockdowns in Los Angeles are much more restrictive than they are here. And the more restrictive the lockdowns are in Los Angeles, the more that foot traffic drives up here to get away. What was the biggest hurdle you had to cross to get? I imagine there were tons of them from concept to opening your doors. There must have been hundreds of things you had to figure out. What was the one that stands out the most as the one you're most proud of for overcoming? I think finding the right space at the right price that provided the foot traffic that I would need because chocolate is an impulse buy and uh, simultaneously had reasonable rent. Mm -hmm. And and so were there any procedural things you had to overcome? You know, divulge any trade secrets, but I imagine there's some logistical technology things you had to overcome. Customizable chocolate on the spot. It's a great idea in theory, but in practice, there's a reason why this had never been done before. (laughs) And that's because chocolate is very temperamental and it takes a lot of time to dry. And chocolatiers will tell you, you cannot rush this process. Chocolate will do what chocolate will do. And it can go out of texture and do all kinds of crazy things when you're trying to rush it. So I I had to develop a process to get it dry quickly because one of the things that I learned early doing consumer research is that people were not willing to wait. Right. How long does it take to get a chocolate bar? Eight minutes. Eight minutes. So that, that could seem like a long time, I can imagine. Well, most people will tell you that a chocolate bar should take a half hour to 45 minutes to dry. That was going to be a non-starter. Eight minutes, I mean, it can take longer than that to get a drink at Starbucks. Right. So it's not so bad. You know, people can browse the store while they're waiting. They can watch the chocolate products be made. There's a lot to see. There's liquid chocolate flowing from machines. And then I'm in a harbor. People can walk around the harbor, take a little stroll, and then come back and pick it up. Right. Now, it is, a, it is a, it's a very nice store and a very nice spot, and it's interesting, and you have a lot to look at. That's very, very true. I didn't realize that was part of your strategy for keeping people patient. That makes a lot of sense to me. Does, does chocolate react differently with different add-ons? In other words, if I have you know, Cheerios versus uh, you know, banana chips or gummy worms, does it, does it react differently? So you have to change your, the speed in which you do the, the yes. recipe? It sure, what chocolate will do is it will bloom. And what blooming means is that the cocoa butter is separating from the cocoa solids, which produces this white dusty powder look, which could actually be mistaken for mold, although it's not mold, it's just cocoa butter. And so, yeah, that's one thing that you have to be aware of because certain ingredients, especially depending on the temperature of the ingredient, are more likely to cause that than others. So does that change the sequence in which you add the add-ons in? 
It doesn't change the sequence in which we add them. We add them from largest to smallest. Oh, okay. But what it does do is it changes how we approach the drying process. I see. So what's the most unusual combination you've seen in one of your chocolate bars? People will throw in mint chips mm. at, at the end in, in a chocolate bar where mint chips don't really go. It's, it's sort of like, you know how they say you don't want to drink orange juice right after you've used mouthwash? Yes, right. <laughs> so we have orange peel and then people will say, ooh, mint chips, I love you know mint and let's throw that in. And that's the one ingredient that <laughs> doesn't always go. It, it goes very well with the Oreo cookies and the crushed peppermint and some other things, but... Maybe also not the macadamia nuts. Macadamia nuts is another one that people add in last second that may not belong with the other things they've chosen. But hey, we're here to do it the way they want it. Right, right. Do you warn them that that, does, that combination doesn't often, you know, people aren't often happy or just it is what it is. That's what they chose. And... It depends. If they seem to be looking to me for guidance and advice, Yeah. then I'll warn them and steer them away. But if they're very much giving off this attitude like they want what they want, then I'll right. just give <laughs> <laughs> so. ever like, you know, they're not going to like it, so you watch them as they go out, as they try it. Go, <laughs> 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 when I was a, a teenager, I worked in a tropical fish store and uh, we used to sell feeder goldfish, which are the goldfish you sell to feed to bigger fish. And we had this crazy guy that would come in every day in the summer and he would buy one goldfish. And then he would go outside and he would untie the rubber band on the bag and he would hold the bag by both corners and then he would drink the water. And we were all 16, 17 year old kids selling this fish and we would all run outside and look at him and go, oh my God, he's going to eat. Oh, he ate it. Oh, it's so gross. So, so I can just imagine that like, you have somebody who gets a combination that you think is kind of, ugh, that <laughs> <laughs> you, you do the same thing. You run outside to watch, but and I don't mean to say your combinations are gross. I think people make their own decisions and they taste it. But you want to—I assume you do want to see their reactions, right? I actually don't because I'm afraid. I'm afraid oh. if they have a bad reaction, I I don't want to see that. I you know I like my customers to be happy and satisfied. Sure. When you're in the hospitality business, you aim to please. Right. So if they're upset, if they, you know, if they've just paid all this money, um, you know, because it's it's very high quality chocolate, so it's not inexpensive. I didn't find it overly expensive though. I found it to be reasonably priced. Okay, good. That's good to know. Yeah. So I'll have to raise my prices. No, I'm <laughs> Small Bizcast will be right back in just a moment. Small BizCast is proud to support Fit for the Cause. Fit for the Cause is the leading organization in fitness for low income and special needs communities. Founded in response to the national health crises, Fit for the Cause has used licensed and COVID conscious trainers to keep their members active even during the pandemic. Offering physical training, nutrition, and a variety of classes, members benefit from the same resources given to Special Olympic athletes. So stay active now by going to www.fitforthecause.org. That's fit, the numeral four, thecause.org. You may remember Janice Miller of Miller Haga Law Group from our episode, Saving Nigel in season one. Miller Haga supports businesses of all sizes from large to small. 
No matter what phase your business is in, from startup to wind down, Miller Haga Law Group acts as your innovative general counsel. Their experienced team of lawyers will keep the gears of your business turning. If you want to minimize your liability while maximizing your profits with competent and efficient counsel, contact MillerHaga.com for more information. That's MillerHaga, H-A-G-A.com. Document technology continues to be a challenge for businesses as they go back and forth from working remotely to working in-house. One of the challenges facing management is that documents need to be shared. They also need to be secure. There's privacy issues, there's access issues. Those are the types of things that keep people up at night. Mercury Document Imaging has been solving problems like these since 1982. We are in the unique position to leverage our years of experience with our tremendous resources to solve this and other similar problems. We do it economically, more importantly, we do it efficiently. So if you have issues that you'd like us to help with, please call 818-782-1221 or go to mercurydoc.com, M-E-R-C-U-R-Y-D-O-C.com. Welcome back to Small BizCast. I'm interviewing Shana Elson of Top This Chocolate. And what's your favorite combination? Right now, I'm really into the salty stuff, the potato mm-hmm. chips, the pretzels, the goldfish, anything with salt and crunch. But um, I do go through phases. So the savory, this you like the savory with dark chocolate or do you tend to go to the milk chocolates? Dark chocolate. What a unique thing because everybody has their own ideas of what they, what they want. So have you ever had people have requests that were surprised you? Like something you don't carry, but you, you go, hey, that's a good idea. How about good and plenties? Can you put good and plenties in chocolate? I could. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the weirdest request. You know, you know, what's interesting. I mean, it's my toppings bar is huge, right? but I, I can't have everything. I, I have several different kinds of gummies, gummy bears, sour gummy worms, you know, seasonal gummies, but it's hard. You know, sometimes people come in and they're like, Oh, I really want Swedish fish. How can you not have Swedish fish? <laughs> and say, you know, I've got, 50 toppings in the toppings bar. There's no space. Right. right. So. Have you, um, talking about the business model just for a few minutes here, have you been able to work with other types of food purveyors to co-market or to co-package ideas together? I haven't done that. I think it's a great idea. I certainly use brand names. Like I use Skittles. That's one topping that people can get. And so, you know, that's advertised on my website. I don't, I haven't approached them to see if they would actually endorse my products or, you know, maybe even promote me or I could promote them. I just, I just sort of mentioned that I use them. It's, it's not a bad idea. I don't know if I could get their attention, just little old me. Right. Well, I I was actually thinking more in terms of, uh, let's say there's a um, coffee bean and tea type of operation that you could sell your product. I mean, I I could really imagine having your products with a nice cup of coffee would be an amazing combination. If a, you know, if a local coffee house held had some of your pre-made products, even though they were, you know, they could be unique and have the savory mixed with it and they could have their own, they could have their own combinations really. Would that be something that you've thought of or are you working toward? Oh, yeah. One, you know, I serve a high quality locally roasted cup of coffee here and I have been working to get my products in certain places. For example, there's a local winery in town. Great idea. It does a tasting and you can order a bag of my chocolate squares with nuts um, with your wine flight. I'm not in a coffee shop yet. I have approached a couple of breweries because I have, I have a cute little chocolate bar that has peanuts and sea salt that I think would pair very well with beer. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I do, yeah, I would love to team up with a coffee shop or anyone else. Right. What, what, what other types of ideas do you have for cross promoting or for growing as you, as you progress, what are you working on? The reason I ask is because a lot of different types of businesses listen to this podcast and maybe, maybe we can stimulate some ideas and, and get some opportunities going your direction. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm open to anything. As I mentioned, I'm just starting to wholesale and have other people carry my products. I wouldn't mind co-branding, especially if somebody has a very interesting and unique product that could be a topping in a chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. I think that would be fantastic. So yeah, uh, please have your listeners contact me. Um, well, how do you do that? How would we contact you? You could email me at info at hopthischocolate.com. So we're going to have all that in the show notes. What are some of the challenges that you are experiencing? The current challenge is that I, it's one person, I do this by myself and there are so many things to do just, you know, just in running the daily operations, thinking about growth, thinking about marketing. I have certain strengths and weaknesses, but I have to do the things that I'm strong at as well as the things that I'm weak at. And I just don't have enough time in the day and I also don't have enough capital to outsource certain things. So it's just, it's really difficult. And even there are things that are hard to outsource. So I'd say that's one of my biggest problems right now. What are you having trouble outsourcing? What would you, what would you want to outsource if you had the capital? First of all, marketing, marketing. (laughs) So have you looked into university marketing and advertising programs to see if there's any internships that you can take advantage of? I have not actually. Okay. So um, I, would, I would suggest going that route. There's plenty of local you know, schools from community colleges onto prominent universities that have great marketing programs. Probably USC is one of them. And I imagine, I imagine if USC and there's an entrepreneurial program at USC and you have connections there, maybe there's, there's probably already some sort of of, um, you know, cooperative uh, programming there. But if not, there's plenty of local ones um, that I think you can probably take advantage of. Um, so just so throw that yeah. throw that idea out just at the top of my head. Okay, great. Thanks. If you had the capital, you'd outsource? Decor, window display. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, what would you say your strength is? I think we talked about this, but I don't remember what you said. I'm more of an operations and finance person. Gotcha. Ironically, in a business where so creative no display, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so um, and that's and that's what's interesting. So it's and it's not that I'm I'm not creative. It just requires more effort and more time. And it's it's easier for me. It's easier for me to take care of the operations and finance matters because those things come more easily to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you so i really have to schedule time to sit and say okay i'm gonna do the marketing or i'm i'm gonna make creative decisions and i'm sort of developing that side of myself i think this whole business has been my desire to develop that side of myself being so time constrained you're you're making me think i really have to push myself to do more of this well people are well here's here's the thing sheena and i've said this analogy before on the podcast but but one of the hardest things we have as entrepreneurs is pushing ourselves to the limits. Because you, if I, if I said to you, you know, how are you doing? You might say I'm busy, but are you busy doing those things you have to do? Or are you doing busy doing those things that you're comfortable doing? Because you know, you're going to be busy regardless of what those things are. 
so my analogy is that people are like rubber bands, you know, unless they're, unless there's some outward pressure to have them extend to their capacity, they just kind of relax to where they are. And that happens not only to our employees. So that's why good management and clear, clear decisions and clear direction is really important, but it's also why it's good for us as entrepreneurs to have um, informal or formal boards of directors, advisors, mentors, coaches, all those things that you can just talk about and figure out where, where is my time best spent? And what, what accountability do I have to make sure it's spent that way? And then in that, in that model, now I still have other tasks that have to get done. What can I free up my time with to outsource or to delegate so I can focus on that, which is the most important for me developing my business? Because my next question to you is going to be the following. Ready? Yeah. Where's Top This Chocolate going to be five years from now? What's your vision for it five years from now? Hopefully franchising. So, and have you worked on that business? Because franchising is a separate model from the operation, correct? Yeah. How are you working towards that when you're trying to just keep all the, you know, the plates spinning on poles? So interestingly, that part isn't ready yet. So I'm, you know, I'm in my first year of location one and it was an interesting first year with pandemic it sort of required a lot of scrambling um and you know when you franchise you know i know this well you're you're selling a cadillac to people you you have to be selling them a shiny cadillac and i'm still working out some of those kinks i'm Mm -hmm. still building the cadillac so i'm i'm not ready to focus on selling it to other people. I mean, I'm not worried about how that'll actually happen when I am ready. That's, that's less, less of my concern. My concern is just building the shiny Cadillac and maybe getting it reference. (laughs) No, 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 it's fine. But you're talking about refining the process to where it's it's very well defined and well, and, and, and you can replicate it easily once you have it refined. Right. Right. And, and I mean, and that's a lot in and of itself, you know, it's, it's been a lot from the very beginning and it continues to be a lot. And there are just a lot of, a lot of moving parts to it. So I assume your process is patent protected. Trade secret. Trade secret. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. It is. Yes. It is a trade secret. It took a long time to develop. It's Mm -hmm. uh, not anywhere near as obvious as a person might think. Right. You know, interestingly, when, when I started with the idea, um, when I first figured out that no one was going to wait, that the idea was dead in the water if there had to be a half hour wait, you know, sure. even in a, a shopping mall with a lot of other activities to distract them, I thought to myself, oh, I'll just use liquid nitrogen, right? I'll just dry the chocolate with liquid nitrogen. And I kind of pitched that idea a little bit, you know, at school. I'm just like, oh, I'll just add that into the pitch. And, you know, <laughs> it'll build excitement. Well, so come to find out the first time I actually got my hands on some liquid nitrogen to try to play with it, uh-huh. liquid nitrogen changes the texture of chocolate to the extent that it is not something you would want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a problem too. Right, 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 right. So then I had to set out to, like I said, develop a process that got the chocolate dry quickly. Right. And nicely and that was a journey and I, I didn't know that I would have this business until I did it it wasn't it wasn't a go in my mind at all until I solved that problem right will you be able to use that process for any other types of applications besides chocolate you know what's very interesting chocolate is a very specific substance and it's a formidable foe 
to be honest with you. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think, you know, another process would probably be specific to another application. I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about, but I'm not sure. I, I don't think anyone ever set out to do what I set out to do before. Right. right. Um, I imagine, I mean, chocolate, you have a lot of goals you're trying to meet. First of all, you need to look attractive enough that people want to eat it. Then you have to make it taste good and feel good along the way. Yes. So it's a lot of, a lot of senses that have to be satisfied for someone to want to pay for that product. And, yes. and so, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That's, that's a very challenging, complex solution that you found. So good for you. Good for you. You should be very proud of yourself. Thank you. What's, what's in your immediate future? You know, because we're in pandemic, so there's going to be less foot traffic. I am actually focusing my time on marketing. I'm trying to get mentioned in gift guides and publications online to try to um, beef up my online. Right. Online's a little bit difficult when you're running a chocolate business because unless you have a reputation and people have tasted it before, they don't know what they're going to get. And if they if they are inclined to go online to purchase chocolate, the first thing they're going to do is probably go to the website of a brand that they're already familiar with. Right. It's a journey. It's not ideal. It never was ideal. I knew from the very beginning that this concept was best as a brick and mortar concept. Mm-hmm. And that has been my bread and butter in the year that I've been open. But uh, as circumstances dictate, I, I need to go back to working on the online. Gotcha. Um, if I'm a corporation, and I want to give gifts to my clients. Can I use Top This Chocolate? Absolutely. Are there discount programs for people ordering large quantities? And are there lead times? And how do you give a yeah. That's it all on your website? Yes. And my website, topthischocolate.com, has a little button that says contact us and you can just fill out a quick form. We'll provide a custom quote. We have a lot of products that are great for corporations, including little mini chocolate bars that are the size of a business card and they come with a little flap where people can put their own oh, very cool. in and give away the chocolate bar with, with their card. It's very memorable. Mm-hmm. And I, sometimes people order hundreds of those. We do bulk prices. The other thing that we're famous for, both for corporations and just for ordinary people, is the names on chocolate bars in chocolate letters. So I could have Joel written it Yes, you can. And as far as I know, I'm the only place in the whole world where you can get that. So if my name is Josephus Cornelius Qualis McGillicuddy, you can get that on the chocolate? Got nine letters. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> gotcha. Now, the other question I have is, and it's very similar to the corporate one, but if I'm doing a special event, I'm having a wedding or some other type of social event, um, I assume you can do the same thing with, and, and you would do packaging that's more appropriate for a wedding than it would yeah. be for a corporate gift. Oh, yes. So yes. you have a lot of different ways that you could help people. It's not terribly expensive. You can really solve some of those problems, gift giving and, and uh, party favoring easily. Then that's oh, yes. Right. Oh, yeah. We love doing wedding favors. Uh, we have people pick out custom ribbons and bows and packaging all the time. What I want to do is just um, let you know that you're very welcome to run stuff by me. I'd love to, I, I really am, you know, it's a genuine interest in the success that you're going to have. I think it's such an interesting business. And I would just want you to know that as a, as a, as a business coach, I want to be of service to you. And so please don't hesitate to call me for anything. You want to run an idea by me, or just want to make me part of your you know, sphere of influence among the people that do things. I'm very happy to participate. I, I really uh, think you have an exciting stage and an exciting business. Oh, thanks so much. And I'm glad you like the chocolate. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah. You know, if you could do French fries on it. <laughs> so, though, actually, the water content in the fry is <laughs> not going to mix well. But I, I wouldn't mind. If you want to bring in the French fries, I'll try it. I'll probably live longer without it. It's really okay. <laughs> At the USC MBA program, you won an award, which helped you yeah. launch this, correct? What was the award? Who judged it? And did that give you the confidence that you needed to really take that step forward from an idea to execution? Yes. So what happened was I was in the entrepreneurship program developing this concept through the different stages. And then along came a pitch competition for women, the first annual Women's New Venture Pitch Competition at USC Marshall School of Business. And the way this came about is that a woman donated the money in order to encourage entrepreneurship amongst women in MBA. She had started a decorative pillow business that turned into a decorative pillow empire with her pillows being in Target and Bed Bath and Beyond. She later sold the business and semi-retired and wanted to give back. So here I am, I'm, I'm ready with this concept and this competition just seems perfect for me. I'm going to go do it. Now, remember at the time, I wasn't sure if I was actually going to start the business or if I was just going to get a job. I was thinking about it. The idea was picking up steam. Then I actually won first place. I beat out 60 teams. 60, six zero? Six zero teams. Wow. Because the grand prize was $25,000. Now, did you bribe them with chocolate or did you just- <laughs> Well, I certainly brought chocolate to the pitch. <laughs> I can Bird, tell you that. Right? <laughs> I, I'm, sure, I'm sure I had a bar with the name of each judge on it. Um, and I hadn't met her before. I, you know, I didn't even know, I didn't actually know at that time how the competition had come about right. or who she was, but she was the head judge. Obviously, I got to know her a little bit better later and she became a mentor to the business as well so so it's very interesting because when when you announce a competition and say all right you know form teams come up with a business idea twenty five thousand dollar prize all of a sudden you have 60 entries right right but i was a little further along because i'd already been developing it i didn't just think something up for the sake of right. entering this competition so I won. I won the $25,000 grand prize. And that was the vote of confidence that I needed to actually go and do it. I can imagine because although $25,000 is a lot of money, it's not a lot of money when it comes to launching a business. But yeah. having, having that boost of, of beating out 60 people at a prominent, I mean, USC is, is no slouch, right? That's a prominent business school. That's so impressive. I can really see how that would, would help you take it forward. And are any of those judges at all involved with the business in terms of following up to see how it's doing and paying attention you, to you? You remind me that I haven't been in touch with her in a while. And I mean, that's just because things got completely insane right. just from about six months before opening my doors all sure. the way to the end. But, you know, I should, I should drop her an email and let her know. And then of course, pandemic happened. So, you know, people aren't traveling, but, um, I, I'm not sure she knows what's going on now. And that's my fault. I need to get back in touch. Well, you know, I'm sure you're spread pretty, pretty thin trying to run this new business. 
insane. Yeah. Well, Shana, I knew you'd be great. I knew you had such an interesting story to tell and I'm really appreciative that you took the time to do it. And I know that you're busy and this probably was not easy for you to break away. So thanks for very much for doing that. Oh, thanks so much. This was fun. Oh, good. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Shana for sharing this time with me. I think her unique company has as much potential as it does challenges, and I look forward to seeing her progress. I appreciate her openness and her willingness to discuss the details, and I want to encourage you to visit her store at Ventura Harbor or online at topthischocolate.com. Please remember to review our podcast wherever you listen. I appreciate your help passing the word along on Facebook and LinkedIn. And please check out smallbizcast.com for our earlier episodes, as well as other resources. Thank you so much for listening. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. 80% of businesses are not ready for acquisition, yet most business people are hoping a buyer's offer comes their way. Kevin Burson of Seapoint Business Advisors works through the many daunting challenges of solving this problem. He is wicked smart, very creative, and highly effective. He's also our next guest. Here's a sneak peek. SWAT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, it's definitely important to give potential buyers a full view of the business. So in this case, this large deal, you know, one of the warts, quote unquote, on this business was the fact that all the manufacturing was in China right. and all went through one supplier. So that that's something that if a buyer discovers late in the process, could be a deal breaker, could be a way to then make the, the price down. That's certainly not something you want to spring on, on a buyer. So I, I highly recommend that's something that's disclosed and disclosed in a way that you know you can defend it. And in this case, the, the sellers could defend it because they had been with other suppliers in other countries. And this supplier just delivered over a 10 year period and they they had backup opportunities, but they just continued to purposely work with this one supplier. So yeah, I, I definitely recommend that you know the, the all the strengths and weaknesses are fully presented in, in a you know in, in an articulate, intelligent way to the buyer. Small BizCast drops every other Tuesday. Follow us on our socials for business tidbits and special offers. Thanks again for our sponsors, the Miller Haga Law Group and Mercury Document Imaging. And remember to support Fit for the Cause. And of course, thanks to my producer, Chaz Volk of Mr. Thrive Media. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much for listening. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life.